Humane Nature is an animal tourism podcast with discussions of animal abuse, injury, and medicine. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for your patience. I know it has been a little while since I've put out an episode. Um, I'm so sorry about that. I uh, got a new laptop. My laptop uh, crashed and burned and refused to let me really do anything. It was shutting down every 15 minutes. The um, trackpad was no longer working. The mouse that I attached to it was no longer working. It was a mess, so that um, kept me from being able to publish a video, and then I went out of town for a week. Um, I went back home. I went back home to Evansville, Indiana to visit my family, and two of my younger sisters graduated college, so I'm so proud of them. I'm just going to brag on them for a little bit. Um, One of my sisters uh, just graduated with uh, a degree in um, education, and she's going to be a teacher. And the other one, Miss Smarty Pants, uh, just graduated like top of her class engineering at Purdue University. So she has already been given job offers and is uh, moving cross country to uh, go work with some, some pretty smart people. (laughs) I'm so overwhelmingly proud of both of them. Uh, But thank you guys so much for your patience while I was, you know, away and dealing with that and was just not able to deal with that. I also apologize if this episode sounds different um, because I got a PC instead of a Mac. Um, I have to use some different recording things that I'm not very tech savvy, so new editing software, new recording software, so I'm still getting used to that, but thank you guys so much for your patience. Okay, as always, let's start with some travel news. Thailand and Japan are easing travel restrictions, including testing requirements, starting June 1st this year. So it's June 1st, 2022. And that's super exciting. I've been wanting to go back to Thailand for quite some time. And my husband and I desperately want to go to Japan um, as soon as, as we're able to. So that is really, really cool. Um, Qantas Airways is planning the world's longest commercial flight ever using new planes. This flight will be 20 hours long from Sydney, Australia to London. And I don't know about you, I would not want to be stuck on a plane for 20 hours. Um, Being on a plane for 16 on my way to Thailand a few years ago was bad enough. Although I think it is really cool that they are offering these new flights um, because otherwise you would have to be taking, you know, multiple layovers. And at the same time, I also am not a layover person. I'd prefer to just do one really long flight rather than multiple smaller ones. So I get it. Um, This flight is aiming to begin in 2025. So we have a few years before that. um, And I will share any updates when I get them. Finally, California is getting its first new state park in over 13 years, so that's really, really cool. 
This new park is going to be on a 2,500-acre property in Dos Rios Ranch, which is about an hour outside of San Francisco. So if you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, awesome. You guys are getting a new state park. Um, this should be opening in 2023. They have to run a pretty extensive archaeological survey to ensure they are not disturbing any Native American sites, which we love to see. So... Hopefully, um, it'll be open in 2023 as long as, you know, all of that checks out and they're not, you know, ruining any, any burial sites or anything like that. This park will feature swimming and fishing opportunities um, in two different rivers that run through the park. And I've seen some pictures. Just look it up online. Um, the uh, Dos Rios Ranch, that's D-O-S-R-I-O-S -S Ranch. And it is beautiful. It is an absolutely stunning park. So I'm very excited for that. For some wildlife news, wildlife advocates in Massachusetts, United States, are arguing to regulate rat poison as it is affecting the environment, especially predatory birds. So the New England Wildlife, um, which is a local wildlife rescue in Massachusetts and in rehab facility, they treat... 100 to 200 animals a year for second generation anticoagulant rodenticide poisoning mouthful um which they also call sgar um so the way that these rat poisons work is they basically prevent the rat's blood from clotting and this kills them very very quickly because they basically internally bleed out um, they are no longer able to clot and it's a really efficient way of killing rodents um, however barbaric it may be <laughs> so um, however we get birds like owls and hawks and eagles and they eat the rats you know that are running around and if those rats have this rat poison in their system and they haven't passed away from it yet that then gets passed on to these birds and it really builds up in their system and with it's just awful you think about um how much that's building up in their system if like you know one owl one hawk eats you know so many rats so many mice a week and if they've all been poisoned like that's just not good um, so I'll spare you from the details of medically what happens to birds who are suffering from SGAR, but it's pretty gnarly if you want to look it up yourself, um, but it is something that we should be looking into. Um, they're really pushing to um, regulate those black bait boxes that you see all over big cities. I know living in Seattle, I see them all over the place. I've counted three or four just around my apartment building alone, like outside. And they look just like these big plastic black boxes with a little hole in the front. And that is where they keep the rat poison and you know the rats go in they eat it they're attracted to it and then they leave and it kills them and and you know it kills them off that way but there are hundreds of these bait boxes all over the place especially in bigger cities so maybe we need to start looking for other ways to control rodent populations um yeah so second of all uh China announced it is improving its national wildlife protection by including 75% of its wild animals 
and 80% of its wild land plants under the National Key Protection System by 2025. So this rate has already risen in practice from 71% to 74% within the last year, which is fantastic. So far, 206 species of rare and endangered plants have been returned to the wild within this program, 112 of them um, which are unique to China. So they're really, really focusing on repopulating not only wildlife, but the wild plants within the country as well, which is so, so important. This has also increased the protections for giant pandas, Siberian tigers, Asian elephants, pangolins, gibbons, and snow leopards, as well as really, really, really cracking down on things like um, the illegal wildlife trade and um, the sale of ivory. So this program, this system is doing a really, really good job so far. So today we are going to be talking about the history of circuses. I put out a poll on my Twitter and this is what y'all wanted to hear. So, which is awesome. <laughs> I'm really interested in this as well. It goes so much deeper than I thought um, while I was researching into this and it's really, really fascinating. Um, and if any of you guys are big, you know, like, musical theater nuts like I am, um, you might hear some some names that you recognize, such as P.T. Barnum, who was the, uh, who was played by um, Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman. So, uh, let's get to it. So, the origins of animal circuses, um, it, it is believed that animal circuses began in ancient Rome. I did talk a little bit about this in my very first episode of the history of animal tourism um, and all of that. Um, but they used animals in gladiator fights. They had like animal baiting. Um, they also used animals along with like jugglers and like, human jugglers and acrobats um, in in Rome within the Colosseum. And these acrobatic circuses date back even further. So this is the first um, that was recorded of them using animals as entertainment, uh, but humans performing you know, acrobatic feats for entertainment date back even further than ancient Rome. Menageries predate circuses and zoos. So menageries are kind of like staged um, like stages of caged exotic animals. So think of like a really, really crappy zoo is <laughs> kind of what a menagerie was. So it's basically just a lot of really small cages that show off these exotic animals. Um, the most popular at the time were African elephants, leopards, lions, camels, and polar bears. So they would kind of travel around these menageries with these caged exotic animals because this also kind of predated zoos. So this was really the first time people were able to interact with and observe these especially large exotic animals up close. So first name here, Philip Astley, who is known as the father of the modern circus, began as an equestrian performer in the 1760s. So big jump between ancient Rome with the Colosseum and the beginning of the modern circus in the 1760s. 
He was extremely lucky to receive help from a wealthy student. So one of his equestrian students gave him some money um, to open up his first theater. The licensing laws in Britain at the time were extremely strict in fear of political satire. So <laughs> um, you had to, kind of what they're doing to teachers in the United States now, uh, it's the first thing that kind of popped into my head when I was reading about this. They kind of made you submit your 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 shows, like all of everything that you're going to be saying, everything that you're going to be doing, um, in order to get approval to even open a theater to begin with, because political satire was um, seen as a really big problem, um, by the monarchy at the time. Um, and again, this was in Britain. Um, so yeah, he was extremely lucky to be able to open his first theater. This theater is the Royal Grove and competed directly with the Royal Circus, who was run by Charles Hughes. And we'll talk more about the Royal Circus later. But the Royal Grove was the first to open. Astley later expanded to Dublin and Paris, but he still mostly used um, horse and acrobatic performances. So he really kind of stayed true to his equestrian roots and he did a lot of like horseback performances um you you think of like acrobatics on horseback um you know the feats like standing up on a galloping horse all that good stuff that was kind of astley's thing um famously marie antoinette even visited his show um which pretty cool um he was notoriously cruel to both human and animal performers within his theaters. So Ashley, not a great guy. He opened a total of 19 venues across England and France and inspired many more. So he kind of started it, uh, but many, many, many people kind of copied him and began opening their own theaters. So John Bill Ricketts, who was one of Charles Hughes' students. Um, so Charles Hughes, we're, I'm going to be throwing a lot of names at you guys. So we'll try to keep these, you know, um, we'll, we'll try to remember all of these together because I have a really hard time remembering names too. So Philip Astley, father of the modern circus, who we just talked about. Charles Hughes was... Um, a direct competitor. So he was one of those people who was inspired by his uh, theaters and opened his own. So he opened the Royal Circus. Now, Charles Hughes' student, John Bill Ricketts, took the circus across the Atlantic to America in 1792. Okay, so we have three people now. We have Philip Astley, Charles Hughes, and John Bill Ricketts. And fourth person here now, a man named Thomas Poole was the first performing equestrian in the United States, but Ricketts established the first American circus in 1793. So before John Bill Ricketts opened up the circus, Thomas Poole was performing, like traveling around performing um, these equestrian circus type shows, uh, but he did not own his own theater, and John Bill Ricketts opened the first American circus in 1793. Being in Philadelphia, this was 
before um, the U.S. was really, you know, its own country. It was frequently visited by George Washington. Um, it was also one of the first family-friendly circuses ever, and that encouraged children to visit. So prior to this, circuses were kind of an adult thing. Um, people really weren't supposed to bring children. They could get rowdy. They had a lot of alcohol, um, gambling, things like that. So uh, rickets really opened up the first kind of like family-friendly circus show that we, you know, come to think of today. At this time, it still was mostly equestrian and acrobatic, um, but he started to incorporate some clown performances. Um, a few circuses worldwide began using trained birds and dogs at this time, um, but overall it was still clowns, acrobats, and equestrian. And equestrian dramas were very popular in the early 1800s, which, that sounds awesome. I would love to go see an equestrian drama where they literally were on horseback performing, like, plays and stuff with horses. That sounds awesome. So here's another man, um, Hecalia. Yeah, Hecalia uh, Bailey had one of the first animal circuses in the, U in the U.S. after his acquisition of an Indian elephant in 1806 named Old Bet. So um, this kind of opened up the first, like, um, more animal circus outside of horses. Old Bet was later killed by a farmer who thought paying to view animals was sinful. So this farmer was really angry and upset. Again, think back to um, The Greatest Showman, all those people thinking it was sinful to, you know, be going to these circuses. This guy specifically thought it was sinful to be paying to view animals. Um, and he shot and killed Old Bet, which doesn't really make any sense to me, but that's what happened. The Bailey Circus also had a trained dog, several pigs, and a horse, but Old Bet was its main, um, main draw. P.T. Barnum, there he is, worked as a ticket salesman for Bailey, and that's how he got his foot in the door with circuses. American circuses began to distinguish themselves in the early 1800s with the use of tents instead of semi-permanent or permanent buildings. So all of those theaters that did these um, early circuses throughout um, the UK and, and France, um, they were all in more permanent buildings. And just like in The Greatest Showman, um, there was a really big issue with fires um, in, in these buildings. So in, um, when they crossed the Atlantic over to America, they really started using um, the tents, and that allowed them to travel around more um, because, you know, at the time, Europe's had all these um, pre-established, like, large cities where you could get lots of paying customers to come see your show in a permanent building. But in the U.S. at this time, there weren't a lot. It was still a very young, very developing country. And so they uh, decided to go the tent route and began traveling. So J. Purdy Brown was the first to take his circus on the road with a tent in 1825. 
the traveling circuses began having smaller tents devoted to exotic animals. So they would have the big top tent um, that we know of today where they would have like the big shows with like the performing animals and stuff. And then they would have smaller tents with those menageries. So they would still have menageries where they had basically just caged exotic animals um, that weren't trained to, to perform or anything. Um, you could just go into these separate smaller tents to see these animals in, in these menageries. The U.S. Civil War halted all circus activity as public entertainment became illegal. So, yeah, during the U.S. Um, Civil War, public entertainment was illegal, which I never knew. That's kind of nuts, but it makes sense um, because so many people were all fighting. It was dangerous to kind of go out. And this, the war lasted from 1861 to 1865, so no circuses for those four years. And after the Civil War really marks the rise of the American circus and how circuses in America really changed compared to their European predecessors. So following the Civil War, um, horse shows and modern circuses combined and began traveling the country. The 19th century is considered the golden age of the circus, which is between 1871 and 1915. Traveling shows were extremely popular because they were accessible. Because not everybody lived in big cities. There was a lot of farmland around the United States at the time. Still is, but um, especially at the time, it was very rural. And these traveling shows could go from place to place, so more and more people had access to them. At the time, um, in order to be called an actual circus, required the use of elephants for entertainment. So you couldn't actually be considered a circus unless you had at least one elephant within your show. So elephants were also very much needed and used to hoist the heavy circus tent, so they were trained to... Um, basically help set up the tent every time they stopped. Despite animal circuses originating in Europe and Asia, the frequent use of captured elephants in circuses was an American invention. So the big idea of elephants being used in, in circus performances was really began in, in America. So great job us. <laughs> Old Bet, um, that first elephant that I was telling you about, uh, was the very first elephant um, used in these circuses, and he was there from 1806 to 1816. And Jumbo was the largest ever elephant used in any circus, still to this day. And he was used from 1882 to 1885. So a little more about Jumbo. Um, he was originally a zoo elephant, um, in the UK, yeah, in the UK, and he was purchased by P.T. Barnum, despite huge public outcry. And actually, 100,000 school children in the UK wrote to Queen Victoria begging her to stop the sale. But she did not. <laughs> so Jumbo was uh, sold to P.T. Barnum and brought to the United States. Jumbo died after being hit by a passing train. So... Um, they traveled, all these uh, tents, tended circuses, traveling circuses, would travel by the, the uh, railroad, 
the railroads um, in the United States, which were really booming at this time. However, um, it was pretty dangerous to be traveling um, as a circus on these because there were a lot of train accidents and things happening. So um, after Jumbo died, they did an autopsy and, or in an animal's case, an autopsy is actually called a necropsy. So, um, but they mean the same thing. Um, during the necropsy, many metal objects were found in the elephant's stomach after its death, including English pennies, keys, rivets, and a police whistle, which is n like crazy. Um, so, the you know Jumbo the elephant was being fed all these little metal objects. There are still, to this day, multiple memorabilia of Jumbo across the UK and is the model for multiple elephant sculptures all over the world. So there are elephant sculptures like, um, I know there's one in Canada, there's some in the US, there's some in the UK. They're all modeled after Jumbo. Only the very largest circuses, so you think of P.T. Barnum, the Ringling Brothers, etc., survived the Great Depression because they owned their own railroad cars and did not have to hire them. So there were a lot of circuses before the Great Depression that would travel around, but many of them had to hire, um, hire out railroad cars to get around. But the really, really, really big circuses such as P.T. Barnum and the Ringling Brothers, um, had their own, so they no longer had to pay for those. So they continued to perform through the Great Depression and survived afterwards. The modern three-ring circus began between 1871 and 1881 instead of using multiple tents. So around this time, um, we had one big top tent now with the three rings um, that we still use to this day. The Ringling Brothers made their circus more clean-cut and family-friendly, making them much more popular around the country. And um, I didn't know a lot about the Ringling Brothers before, but um, I actually went to New College of Florida for my undergraduate, and that was actually the winter home of um, the Ringling Brothers family. So they all lived there, as well as many of their animals and performers. So I got to live in go to school um, in like their mansion and on their on their land, which was really, really cool. And if you guys are ever in uh, Sarasota, Florida or the surrounding area, I highly encourage you to go see Charles Ringling Mansion um, in the, on the new college campus, as well as the um, Ringling Art Museum, because he was also an avid art collector, so. Okay, so they made their, sorry, a little tangent there. So they made their circus shows um, more clean cut and family friendly, um, making them very, very popular around the country. They had strict regulations banning smoking, drinking, certain ways of dress, and immodest associations with the opposite sex. That is a quote there. So you weren't allowed to dress immodestly if you were single if you were a young single person you couldn't be going and kind of flirting and, and associating with the opposite sex in a non-family friendly way in the 1800s <laughs> so um, they did use their clean cut image to cut down their competition so they definitely used that to their advantage 
Following the First World War, multiple high-profile animal rights campaigns formed based on circus animal treatment that resulted in intense scrutiny and bad publicity. So right after World War One in the... Uh, what, 1930s, 40s? Sorry, I don't have those dates. I should really know um, when World War War World War One ended. But um, around that time is when people really started to scrutinize circuses' treatment of animals, especially. Um, equestrian circuses also largely ended after World War One. So those very first circuses that were mostly formed with um, performing horses and equestrians were mostly done after the end of the war. All right, so we are going to go to a break. That is kind of the overall history um, up until now. Um, after we take a quick break, I am going to talk about the positive and negative effects of animal circuses as well as um, I'm going to dive into Jumbo the Elephant a little bit more because actually David Attenborough did a big um, big film on Jumbo the Elephant where they dive into his life and his death and um, the overall treatment of circus elephants at that time. And we're also going to be talking about just um, various number of animals um, that were in circuses um, that, you know, had had various levels of, of bad treatment and, and all that gnarly stuff. Um, and then compare that to circuses now. So, um, you know, within the last five, 10 years or so. When you travel, you should be protected especially if you enjoy adventurous activities or wildlife tourism. That's where travel insurance comes in. I personally use World Nomads because their coverage makes the most sense for me. They cover injuries or illnesses, lost luggage, canceled flights, and even damaged electronics. Protect yourself and your trip with World Nomads travel insurance. Check if their coverage is right for you using the link in the description. If you're a frequent traveler, you need a travel credit card that works for you. I love my Chase Sapphire Preferred card because I earn miles by making my everyday purchases in two to five times the miles on travel purchases. I can book flights for a discount directly through the Chase app using the miles I have earned, allowing me to fly for free. Earn 50,000 miles when you sign up through the link in the description and even more bonus miles after spending $4,000 in the first three months of your card. That's over $2,000 worth of travel miles. Where will you fly for free with your miles? Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to those. And once again, I would like to remind you that these are all companies, items, services, whatever that I personally do use. It does not cost you anything extra to... Uh, sign up or, or use these in the link in the description of the show. Um, but I do get a little bit of a kickback from that uh, by recommending it to you guys. And that does help keep this show going. So thank you so much for listening. 
All right, let's continue to talk about circuses. So let's talk about some proven um, positive and negative effects of animal circuses throughout, you know, throughout the years. At its very beginning, circuses were one of the only ways for the general public to see large exotic animals, such as elephants, bears, you know, different things like that. However, the animals were almost always treated absolutely abysmally. And you can imagine, um, we've seen some things even currently of zoo, not zoo, uh, circus animals just being treated completely abhorredly and just it's awful so you can imagine what this was like in the late 1800s early 1900s um, before you know we had the internet and we had social media and we had all these animal rights movements a study in 2008 showed that Horses and ponies spent 96% of their time tied up by short ropes or in small stalls in circuses. Lions and tigers spend between 75 and 99% of their time in small cages on the backs of large trailers. Elephants spend 58 to 98% of their time chained by at least one leg. Extended periods of time caged or chained animals result in abnormal um, behaviors indicative of suffering. Uh, most animals lack free exercise. Most of them, um, most of the herd animals um, were forced into some sort of social isolate, isolate, oh my goodness, isolation. There we go. <laughs> social isolation of herd animals such as elephants and zebras. So these animals were left by themselves rather than being with um, others of their kind, which is essential to their well-being. Many of these animals had lack of free access to water. Reptiles' mouths were uh, taped shut for photos and often left that way for long periods of time. Hooks, electric shocks, and other tools used to punish and control animals, especially elephants, were, were being used. There were many open sores and injuries on performing animals. There were animals eating garbage and junk food, such as cola and cotton candy. And there was poor containment of animals, which was a major public safety issue. So remember, this was a study done in 2008. So years after where we ended the last part of right after World War One. So that was only, what, 15 years ago, roughly? So... That's pretty awful. Improper care of circus animals may not always be purposeful, but it is unavoidable due to frequent moving and temporary enclosures. So it is really, really difficult to give these animals the proper care that they need when they're moving around so much, when they're not in a more permanent enclosure that they can call home. So large carnivores, including large cats and bears, are very difficult to properly care for in the most exceptional zoo settings. So if it's really difficult to care for a lion or a tiger or other large carnivores like grizzly bears, polar bears, whatever, in like the San Diego Zoo or like any of these really huge AZA accredited zoos who get massive amounts of funding and who have 
exceptional staff who have trained in school for years to take care of these animals. How can we expect them to be properly taken care of in a circus setting? So I discussed the difficulty in caring for elephants in zoos in um, episode 11, which is titled, What's the Difference Between AZA and Roadside Zoos, which you guys have really enjoyed. I've gotten a lot of feedback from that episode. So I really dive into the care of elephants in that one. Um, I also dive into uh, what specialized care elephants really need in my second episode where I talk about... um, whether or not we should be riding elephants in Southeast Asia. Okay, so let's get into some individual animal stories that I was able to find online and some of the some of the stuff that they suffered while they were in the circus. And I'm going to put another trigger warning in there and content warning for you guys. Um, some of this is pretty awful. Um, so if you wanted to skip ahead... Um, This will basically be the end of the episode. So um, if you wanted to skip ahead maybe 15, 20 minutes, um, then I will end this episode talking about contemporary circuses and how we are moving forward. Okay, so I did mention Jumbo the Elephant. I'm going to dive more into him now. Jumbo the Elephant is the largest elephant that has ever been kept in captivity. He was purchased by B.T. Barnum um, from a zoo in the UK. So during his brief life in the circus, Jumbo lived in a tiny, tiny, tiny concrete compartment that resulted in early arthritis and damaged feet. So damage to anim- or to elephants' feet um, is something that I really dive into in my second episode, I'm talking more about elephants, but it is probably the most common injury that elephants sustain, but it is also extremely deadly to them. Jumbo was trained using leg shackles, bull hooks, lances, drugs, and fed beer to the point of intoxication. So, not great. He was ultimately killed by a train after he escaped. So, he did escape from his little concrete apartment, uh, apartment, compartment, <laughs> um, and was running away and crossing train lines and was struck by and killed by a train. And Jumbo was notoriously aggressive to his handlers. He was very aggressive. He was very difficult to manage. So, um, and much of that was due to long-term pain, um, which we'll get into in a second, and in how horrifically that he was being treated. So the lovely David Attenborough released the film titled Attenborough and the Giant Elephant in 2017 and he examined Jumbo's skeleton with um, some elephant experts and you can find this for free on YouTube. I will go ahead and link it in the description for you guys. Again it is called Attenborough and the Giant Elephant. In this they find that Jumbo's molar teeth were severely malformed and out of line due to a too soft diet. So elephants require massive amounts of like hay and grasses and other hard foods that really evenly wear down their teeth over time. So his teeth were extremely malformed and 
Um, this is another thing I talk about in my second episode, if, if you listen to that, how an elephant's teeth doesn't go from the bottom up like ours do um, from, from our jaws and they push out from the bottom up. They actually, um, they've got multiple molars because they are herbivores and they pop up in the back and work their way towards the front and then the front teeth will fall out whenever they are too worn down and they go through multiple sets of teeth more than the two that we do. So his teeth were not actually able to reposition and move um, due to his too soft diet um, while in the circus. Jumbo's aggression and nightly rages were likely due to his tooth pain. They examined a post-mortem photo after the train accident. I would recommend you guys not looking that up if you, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty graphic. Um, they do show it in the, um, in this film on YouTube. Um, in this photo, Jumbo's limb bones appeared, um, Oh, I apologize. <laughs> not not in this photo, uh, but they, they did examine the photo in this film, um, and it's it's pretty graphic. Um, during his, um, like while they were looking at his skeleton, um, Jumbo's limb bones appeared overgrown, um, and he had overgrown tendon attachments consistent with long-term history of being overworked and overloaded. And this was likely due to him uh, repeatedly being forced to help set up the tents, the extremely heavy tents and the, and the posts that held up the circus tents. And Jumbo was still growing at the time of his death. He was still a young elephant. So who knows how big he, he really could have gotten. He could have been a truly magnificent <laughs> elephant. But unfortunately, he really suffered in his short life and, and was killed um, pretty, pretty young. So we have another elephant next, um, Tyke the Elephant, T-Y-K-E. He worked in a traveling circus in the U.S. for 20 years. He was routinely disciplined with a bullhook and ankus, and he eventually attempted to escape during a show, chasing down handlers and performers, and he escaped the tent um, and began to overturn cars, and he ran through the streets of Honolulu, Hawaii, before being gunned down in the street. And oh, I'm sorry, Tyke was a female. And at the time of her being gunned down, she was still wearing a sparkly tiara that they had made her wear during the show. So a little morbid there. Next, we have Shakira the giraffe. So in 2006, an eight-month-old Shakira was purchased by a circus in Colombia from a breeder in Texas. Yep, you heard that right. A giraffe breeder in Texas. <laughs> Shakira was left in the airport over a full weekend in a small crate. She died six days later from bloat caused by an excess of concentrated food. So I have personally treated multiple dogs, like large dog breeds, while I was working in the ER as a, as a veterinary technician um, for bloat. And it is nasty it is nasty it is painful it is awful and she 
this this poor giraffe was stuck in a crate barely larger than she was and ate junk food basically the whole time with no room to move around and and died from bloat um the same zoo was beating um so sorry i said zoo the same circus um that purchased shakira was seen beating two different chimpanzees named carla and panchito so this was not a great circus down in colombia Next, we have Toto the chimpanzee. He was taken from the wild as a baby. Then Toto was purchased at two or three years old from the U.S. to a Chilean circus with three other baby chimps. Of the four chimps that were purchased, he was the only one that survived the trip over to Chile. He lived in a three-foot-wide packing crate for 20 years and was chained by the neck when not performing. His act involved dressing up, smoking cigarettes, and drinking tea. <sighs> yeah, that's it, this was really hard to research. So the ADA, or ADI, which is the Animal Defenders International, seized Toto in 2003 and took him to a chimp sanctuary in Zambia. And so he was in this circus for 20 years. So he was there from 1983 to 2003. Upon arriving in Zambia, he had broken teeth and infected gums, and his canines had been intentionally pulled to help keep him from from biting his trainers. He also had cigarette burns all over his body, and he had been forcibly castrated as well. So he, uh, he suffered as well, but luckily he was rescued and he was able to live out the rest of his days very comfortably in this chimp sanctuary and apparently from everything that I read he was very happy there he had very few to no like massive behavioral problems that kept him from being around the other chimps and from the people there so oh sorry auto cat feeder I don't know if you could hear that <laughs> so by the turn of the 20th century hunters in Asia and Africa were warning the public of a decline in species in the wild as animals were obtained for zoos and circuses, especially large cats and elephants. So this was in the 1990s. Um, people were really starting to realize that there have been a massive decline in these animals that um, they have been taken from the wild and then put into circuses and uh, non-AZA accredited zoos. So, modern circuses, um, so contemporary circuses combine traditional circus acts and theatrical techniques to tell a story. And modern circuses really uh, began in the 1970s. So, um, golden age was up until the late 60s, modern age, 1970s to now. Laws have been put in place to protect animals in zoos. Um, but they did not exist until 1990 in Germany in 2006 in the United States. So Germany passed them first in the 90s. National, regional, and local governments in over 30 countries now have banned the use of wild animals in circuses. There are over 12,000 circuses in the U.S. alone with only about 100 inspectors to monitor them. So... Animal abuse is still rampant in um, in circuses today because 
they can get away with it. Um, they are supposed to be following these rules and legislation and, but there's really nobody to enforce it, you know? So 12,000 circuses to a hundred inspectors, that's 120 circuses per inspector. That's crazy. It is possible to train domestic animals using positive reinforcement for entertainment as long as they are being treated properly. So personally, I really have no issue with domestic animals. That is the real underlying um, underlying issue here. Domestic animals, not wild animals, not exotic animals, domestic animals. A book from 1956, so kind of an older book, but this book did outline how circuses could use positive reinforcement for training instead of punishment. So way back in 1956, um, this book called The History of the Circus by Anthony D. Hippisley Cox, um, he wrote about how circuses could be using positive reinforcement rather than punishment to be training these animals. He himself trained big cats using positive reinforcement for circuses. So I don't like the fact that he was um, training animals to be in circuses, but considering it was the 50s and circuses, you know, it was still in the uh, golden age, golden era for American circuses. It was, he was really ahead of his time um, trying to teach people how to use positive reinforcement rather than punishment to be training these animals. Some circuses now are using digital renditions of animals instead of relying solely on human performances such as acrobatics and clowns. So I have seen um, some like circus type shows that instead of using live animals, they are using like projections. They're using like 3D, like they're, oh, they're really, really cool. Um, yeah, so um, there are some circuses that are turning to that who want to continue the tradition of using animals, but using them in a as ethical a way as possible. And there are circuses such as the famous Cirque du Soleil um, that don't use animals and they um, completely rely on acrobatics and clowning. The Ringling Circus, so, you know, that big circus we had been talking about this whole time that began way back when, um, it did shut down in 2017 after a massive decline in, uh, in attendance. And the attendance started declining after their decision to stop using elephants in 2016. So they made a really great decision in 2016 to stop using elephants. But because they were no longer using elephants, they decided to shut down because people stopped coming. And I was living in Sarasota, Florida, where the Ringling Circus is based when this happened. And it was like the biggest deal down there. Um, so many people were so angry that they had stopped using elephants um, because then they just no longer wanted to go. Um, but I think they made the, the right decision. There are no real benefits of using wild animals in circuses anymore. So I do understand that um, back when circuses began, there weren't really any good zoos to go to. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't all of these things and all these incredible ways that we can see and experience wild animals, especially these large exotic animals that so many people are fascinated in. 
However, there is no reason to be using wild animals in circuses today. And um, I do have a quote here from Peter Singer, professor, uh, well, <laughs> professor of bioethics at Princeton University. And he developed the Singer, um, I want to say method. I had talked about it um, previously in a different episode, but um, he says, quote, when children see animals in the circus, they learn that animals exist for our amusement, end quote. And I thought that was a very powerful thing to end this on. So um, I am not against circuses as a whole. Uh, I love going to Cirque du Soleil. I've seen like three or four of their shows and I love them. Um, I love seeing like the acrobatics. I hate clowns. <laughs> I am one of those people who are absolutely terrified of clowns, but you know, teach their own. I know some people really, really enjoy them. Um, my stepbrother's partner actually attended clown school and was a professional clown for a while. So, um, and I'll forgive him for that. Uh, <laughs> but um, those are great. And, and, Using domestic animals um, and training domestic animals to do tricks, great. As long as you're doing them, um, doing it in a positive way, using positive reinforcement, treating them properly. And domestic animals that are easily trained and can be used in entertainment include, you know, dogs, cats, horses, things like that. So, and that can be really fun too, as long as it's being done correctly. But wild animals have no business in being being in circuses and performing for us it's cruel it's inhumane and we should as a as humanity we should move on from that um but that's all i have for you guys today thank you so much for listening um and i will hear you next time Sources for today's show can be found in the link in the description. Thanks for listening.